welcome to I'll Marry You, a podcast with me, Olivia Coleman, full of tips and tricks from the UK wedding scene, interviews with industry experts, and a whole lot of oversharing. It's so cold that I'm recording this from bed. (laughs) My bed, I hasten to add. And I understand that I could put heating on and record it from my office. And when I say office, I mean spare room. And when I say spare room, I mean the tiny little box room where we keep all our shit, you know. But it's a cost of living crisis, isn't it? So I'm not going to put the heating on and I'm not going to put any more clothes on for no reason. I just can't be asked. <laughs> and bed's so cosy, isn't it? And I've been going to the gym. I don't know if I uh, mentioned that to you, but I've been going to the gym. And today marks my fourth day in a row, which I'm really chuffed about. I'm ever so tired. And if I'm honest, I'm not losing any weight. So I don't know if I'm going to go at all next week because it's really not having the desired effect. Anywho, I'm cold, I'm tired and I'm in bed. I'm in bed recording Um, this week's podcast. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. I hope that if you are newly engaged, if you're new to this podcast, congratulations, or as the Spanish say, el congratulado-ish. I hope that you are enjoying your planning journey and it's not becoming too overwhelming just yet. I saw something on Instagram the other day, um, quite an influential woman in the wedding industry was talking about how the market at the moment is just totally oversaturated with advice on how to plan your wedding and it can get really confusing and stuff. I was like, okay, yeah, fine. But I still think that my podcast is ever so helpful and important. I I still don't know if it's actually um, offering any wisdom to you at all or or offering any help or guidance. Really, I, I in my mind, I've just become your friend and you just listen to me because I'm, as I say, moderately entertaining. Uh, so that's really the most we can hope for. Uh, the last two episodes of the podcast were uh, part one and part two of an interview with Aaron, the event illustrator. And I must tell you, I listened to my own podcast. I, James, my husband, came to bed last night and I was listening to the last bit of this week's podcast and um, he just got into bed and was like, you're listening to yourself again? So yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. Do you know what? Someone should listen to me. (laughs) Bitterness. Um, And he said, why do you listen to yourself? I said, well, first of all, I have to listen to it to make sure that it's like, okay, because once I send off my recordings to my producer and he does everything, you know, he he could have some sort of vendetta against me and he could edit it all to make me sound like a crazy person. So I have to listen to it to make sure he's doing his job, don't I? But also, I just enjoy it. I just enjoy my own podcast. And to be honest, if you don't enjoy what you're putting out into the world, why would anyone else bloody enjoy it? But the last two episodes, this interview with Aaron, I think, is is one of one of my favourites ever of any episode of any genre, and not necessarily not from my point of view, not of what I'm doing, but just for conversation and because of him, he is so interesting and he's so lovely and kind and so talented and he is, I mean, he's really he's really been around the block. And he's just got so many wonderful stories to tell and wisdom to share. And I just think he's brilliant. So 
if you haven't yet listened to the last two episodes, I don't know why you wouldn't, like if you're on this episode, right? Um, but if you haven't, then go back and have a listen because I really, really, really think that it is worth your time. On this week's episode, we're going to do a little story time. Now, we haven't done a story time this year. So if you are new to the podcast, again, as I say, welcome. But also story time is basically where I tell you all about one of the weddings that I have been to, that I have worked at of late. And there are so many and it, I can't tell you all about every single one of them. Um, but I just sort of pick and choose the odd one here and there that I think you would want to hear about and that I think I can sort of use to to get advice from and, and ideas from and things like that, and inspiration. Um, so I want to tell you all about the wedding I did back in September of Joe and Michael. So Joe and Michael came to me a good year before their wedding day and they came to me because they were looking for a celebrant and they're a lovely, lovely couple. They live in London, quite young. We had a really great chat. We really connected as soon as we started talking and by the end of the conversation, it had come about that their venue was less of a wedding venue and more of a private home. So they were getting married at a place called Wally Farm. <laughs> now I say it, it is silly, but that's its name. However, if you want to find this magical, magical place, it is, I think they found it through Unique Homestays. And on Unique Homestays, they changed the name. I don't know why, because Wally Farm is brilliant, second only to Willy Farm, which isn't a place I just like saying Willy. Um, but on Unique Homestays, it's called Anthology Farm. Um, and I think on Instagram, it's called Wally Farm. It's very confusing. Anyway, it's in the Cotswolds, in the heart of the Cotswolds. It's about 15 minutes outside of Cheltenham, in the arse end of nowhere. It's owned by this gorgeous couple who live there with their daughters. And they moved there from London a few years ago and they renovated it all. And it is absolutely stunning. There are, there's a main barn, which is sort of the main, I suppose it would be the main event space. But because they also rent this out sort of Airbnb style, um, it's used as like a games room lounge area. And that is next door to the pool, the inside swimming pool, which is stunning there's also a little kitchen attached so that's sort of the the party space if you will and then you walk along this the manicured lawns and the view it's just rolling hills you literally can't see any other houses or roads or anything it's so so pretty and you walk along the the path and then you've got these two other barns and they are for accommodation but they are, the interiors are stunning. The finishing, it's just, they've not missed a beat. It's decorated so beautifully. It's really sort of, oh, Cotswold chic makes me sound like a real wanker, but it's that kind of style. It's just very low key, understated, but done really, really beautifully. And so I was very excited to hear that they were going to this place. And I looked it up and I was like, my God, it's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, so what kind of um, help will you have on the day? And they explained none, basically. So I said, look, look, 
look, I can, because you know me, I'm choosy, aren't I? I'm never so choosy. So I don't just throw out my services willy nilly <laughs> anymore. But I said to them, look, I do offer coordination on the day as well. It's not something I push because I can't do it all the time. And nine times out of 10, if you've got a wedding venue, they will give you a event manager and they will pretty much run the day for you so and there's also a million people out there who are full-time coordinators who are brilliant so I don't push it push it but if a couple come to me as a celebrant and they're doing a sort of at-home DIY style wedding without an event manager allocated to them then I will say to them would you like me to stick around come early leave late and coordinate as well as um do the ceremony because I cannot stress enough how important it is to have an on-the-day coordinator. I recently said on my Instagram that the only real regret I have of my own wedding is not having an on-the-day coordinator because I thought that I was there so I could do it and I did and my mum could do it and like my wedding party knew what's going on all that jazz and we had the catering team and stuff but actually there was no one saying right now we're going to do this and can I get you that and it was just it kind of fell to me as the bride and it shouldn't it's that's too much responsibility that's too much going on for you to worry about like you should be totally relaxed for the whole day and just pass over any obligations so I told them that I was would be happy to do this so we, we chatted a bit more and eventually not eventually because we by this point we'd all fallen in love with one another but eventually they um booked me for the ceremony and for on the day coordination so i knew that i would be there setting up all day all night um and they were very very hot on the planning so they didn't need me for that joe joanna is like <laughs> god i love her so much she's so gorgeous we've been messaging this morning she is she is one of those girls that had been planning her wedding in her mind since she was little like she she'd always thought about it she'd always had in mind what she wanted how she wanted it and I'll explain to you in a minute how it works but she knew who she'd marry from when she was little because they literally met when they were kids so she has been had been looking forward to planning her wedding for years and she was so excited and she was so on it I mean I hope she won't mind me saying but it pretty much became like her sole focus <laughs> so I, she didn't need help planning it she had that in the bag the style of the day like I say sort of the weekend really everyone arrived on the Friday morning um, and I think maybe the immediate family arrived on the Thursday, but everyone sort of arrived on the Friday morning, most people, because it was, there weren't that many guests. I think there were about 60 from memory. Um, so the vibe that they wanted was less wedding and more like really elaborate, really well thought out, well executed dinner party vibe. Um, sort of really fancy house party, you know, less get trashed, but more like classy. <laughs> so people arrived on the Friday and they had a, a barbecue or something, I think. And, and then on the Saturday was the wedding day. And then they'd have the wedding. Uh, and then on the Sunday, they had a pool party. Um, and because most people were staying on site, it had that feel of like sort of an elaborate weekend away rather than you're arriving for 
the wedding do you know what I mean which was really nice it was really relaxed and it meant that people who didn't already know each other although a lot of them did got to know each other so by the end of the weekend everyone was friends and they were all really lovely people all of them so obviously I get to know all my couples very well um but some I think I've told you this before but some more than others um just because that's the way it is some people are more invested in Olivia Coleman <laughs> um but Joanna and I quick very quickly became friends and we would whatsapp images and inspiration and ideas and things and she was so organized it was an absolute dream I mean as an on on the day coordinator when you just do that it, the title says on the day but actually you're doing work weeks before because you want to get all the supplier information double check what, what time they're arriving what time they're leaving what do they need do they need to be fed do they have any allergies um the timeline of the day the itinerary of the day the guest list the seating plan you do actually do an awful lot even though you're just there in person on the day However, she was so organised, this bride, that I just, I didn't, I did very little, <laughs> which is wonderful. Um, but we, it meant we got to know each other really, really well, because in the lead up to the day, we were constantly in contact and just chatting and going through everything and making sure that it, it all ran like clockwork. So not only did I get to know them on a personal level in terms of their story, but also I got to gain a real insight into the day and how it was going to run and the vibe and the style um, and everything else and it was very clear she was very clear with I mean he is here he is in existence <laughs> he's very much a part of it he just didn't feature in our conversations as much as you might think really it was just she and I it was our day <laughs> we did actually joke about that on the wedding day he wasn't around and I was like oh my god it's our day she was like oh no <laughs> um no he's gorgeous he's wonderful too but yeah it was it was just lovely we just got to know each other really really well something that is so wonderful about this couple that I want to share with you is how they met and their story and I have asked her permission to share this with you and she was like absolutely fine go for it um but before I do just a little bit of a trigger warning um this is a more serious topic. So uh, yes, if you're um, feeling sensitive, you might want to fast forward this bit. Joanna and Michael met when they were very young. Uh, that's an understatement. <laughs> they met when they were nine and 10. When they were nine and 10 and they met through um, music lessons that her mum taught and they I mean they were young right so they didn't necessarily fall in love <laughs> straight away um, but they do remember each other from that point from that age and they do remember sort of you know you know when you're that age and you're messing about in class and you give each other the little side eyes and things like that um, so they they remember they remember becoming friends when they were that young um, but it wasn't until a couple of years later that they became boyfriend and girlfriend. What is, I think, so beautiful about how they met and uh, what happened when they met is that 
when Joanna was 14, and being a 14-year-old girl is hard enough, right? Like we, us girls remember it. It's pretty brutal with the hormones and the boys and the girls and the bullying and the falling in love and the schoolwork and the family. It's just, it's a lot being a 14-year-old girl. But when Joanna was 14, she had just finished treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma. She'd had it, she was diagnosed with it when she was pretty young. And like I say, I have asked her permission to tell you the story and she's absolutely fine with it. And she is absolutely fine now, which is why I feel able to tell you the story. But so she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma when she was pretty young. And by the time she was 14, so she'd met Michael briefly a couple of years ago, um, she'd just finished treatment. She'd just finished her chemo and she was completely bold. So... Like I say, not only is being a 14-year-old girl pretty hard, but being a 14-year-old girl who everyone knows has had cancer and has no hair, I I can't even imagine it. Like, I can't even imagine it. And she knew him. And she knew him, obviously. And she, by this point, fancied him a little bit, thought he was cute. He was in the year above. And she thought... Well, obviously, he's not going to fancy me, is he? Because I'm a bold 14-year-old who's got cancer. Like, why would anyone fancy me? Oh, I can't cope. But he did. She remembers thinking that when she was 14. And when he was 15, he remembers knowing that this girl that he knew at school had had cancer and that she was bold and that she was absolutely beautiful. And he thought she was an absolute rock star and he was even at 15 he was completely in awe of her he just thought that she was amazing so they're at school and they're 14 and 15 and joe remembers like chatting at lunch times gossiping with her friends about this really cute guy michael in the year above and like oh my god he's so cute and she told me that her first memory of thinking like how cute he was was a non-uniform day <laughs> in the middle of practice gcse's when he came strolling into the playground in a super dry t-shirt and sunglasses and she was like oh my god what a dream boat can you imagine it i can so picture it being that young and being like oh my god look at his t-shirt look at his glasses and like you're so young you don't understand it all and you get these butterflies and it's just it's like so exciting you're so naive and you're so hopeful and she still thought why would he fancy me but he did he did fancy her and they sort of slowly started chatting and then they eventually started going out i suppose whatever that looks like when you're that age um they became a couple and they fell in love um and i I remember when they told me this story and i was thinking about it and i was writing their ceremony and i was thinking back to that feeling that you get when you first fall in love now um note to self my husband is not my first love apologies I, I mean he knows it we don't talk about it but I met him when I was 21 for heaven's sake you know um I remember my first love I remember it like it was yesterday and the feeling is there's nothing like it and I, I don't feel bad in saying that the love that I have for my husband is different to that love it's I mean it's better obviously 
my love for my husband now is unconditional and forever but it's also real and I think the love that you have for your first love especially if it's when you're young when you're in your teens is so intense isn't it it's so overwhelming it's so powerful you feel it in every bit of your body you know if they smile at you the world sets on fire and if they ignore your message for 10 minutes you crumble I mean god I when I fell in love it was for the first time I was maybe 15 and it was like I can't I can't explain it you know what it feels like and it's magnificent and then of course you have (laughs) for most people who don't marry their first love, they have their first heartbreak and there is not a pain like it. I mean, becoming a mother makes me terrified to think that one day Lola will have a heartbreak and I'm going to have to kill. I'm going to have to murder because there is no pain like your first heartbreak. But what is so absolutely bloody magical is that Joe and Michael, they've never had that. They've never had that because they got married to their first love. Their first love is their last how extraordinary is that I'll, I'll tell you when they first said I love you it was almost a year into the relationship and they were doing it was about a year or two a year or two after um, Joe's chemo had finished and they were doing a relay for life to raise money for cancer research and it was uh, very early in the morning and it was really really cold And they are both hiding in the car, waiting for their turn to walk again. And at exactly 3.15 a.m., a 16, 17-year-old Michael turned to Joe and said, I love you, for the first time. And she remembers that exactly because for quite a long time after that, they would message message each other at 3.15 p.m. every day just saying I love you I mean that is teenage love isn't it the last message that I got from my husband was about the bins do you know what I mean like it's just that is teenage love it's oh god it's just like it's just the, the most incredible feeling in the world isn't it so they they fell in love and they were teenagers and throughout the years and that was 12 years ago so throughout the years like I say, they've never had their first heartbreak, but they've they've had ups and downs, as you would. You know, they've grown from children to adults together and they've had difficult times and they've had times where they lived apart because of university and things like that. But throughout everything, they their love has remained and they've grown together rather than apart. And they're just the most, most wonderful couple. Um... In fact, I've not done this before. I might get Drew to cut it out. <laughs> but I, I will just read you a little bit from their ceremony that I wrote about them. Michael. Joanna believes you to be the most genuine, kind and wonderful person that she has ever known. You light up a room without even realising it. You make her laugh without even trying. She loves how much joy you find in life's smaller moments. She loves that you find joy in the little things like 
getting home just in time to watch the start of the F1 or sitting down to a delicious homemade dinner after a long day. It is that about you that inspires her. It reminds her not to worry about the next big thing or the thing after that, but to take joy in the little things that she already has. Because you remind her that it is the little things that make up the big things. And the big thing is being with you, the love of her life. Whether that's at a fancy London restaurant or coming home before 9pm to pop on the kettle and watch another episode of some box set you're binging. You have been together so long that you feel like home. And Joanna truly believes that you are the other half of her. But even though you have been together since childhood, you still give her butterflies. She is still so happy to see you when you have been apart. And it is still you that she wants to tell everything to, big or small. It is still you and it will always be you. Joanna, <laughs> Joanna told me, Joanna told me that she wants to have pancakes with you every single Sunday. She wants to have kitchen parties with you every evening and she wants to watch you grow and in turn grow together because you're her best friend forever. Joe, when Michael looks at you, he sees someone who is confident, intelligent and beautiful. Someone who has already overcome some of life's biggest challenges. He loves how excitable you are. It's totally infectious. He loves that you always want to get the most out of everything, whether that be a holiday and you plan the excursions and research all the best places or just a day out where you visibly want to take in every single moment and make it count. Michael admires your mind, your work ethic, and he is so proud of where you already are and is excited to see how far you can go. He loves that you work so hard, but are equally as happy to relax and enjoy just spending time with him, with your family and your friends. You give him confidence, joy and a, a peaceful contentment that without which life would feel far less colourful. You are the person that he can spend every single day with and still it doesn't feel like enough. You are the person he fell in love with when he was 14. You are the person that he loved when love meant everything. When love meant something. When love meant tackling real life and fitting in romance when there's time. You are the person that he knew he would marry before he even turned 16. He knew that he would love you forever. God, I'm good. <laughs> oh, God, I'm like crying. I'm crying in bed. I haven't cried in bed since last night. <laughs> oh, God, I adore them. I absolutely adore them. So that's their story. Oh, shall I tell you about the wedding? So, like I say, Joe was a very organised very dedicated, committed bride. And she did 98% of it herself. 
she got all of her family involved and everyone was a real part of it and it was you could tell that like all the tiny little touches were amazing um for example there was a bar in the main event space where the reception the wedding breakfast was going to be and um the bar had been made (laughs) the bar had been made from you know is it ikat from ikea like 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 shelving unit that literally everyone owns or has owned in their life they made her parents made a bar out of it so the the front of it they painted black and they'd written um the initials uh no sorry they hadn't written the initials even better they'd written drunken love on it i'm gonna put pictures up on my instagram they'd written drunken love on it so it was a the whole sort of color scheme of the wedding was very um the the monochrome the extras were monochrome um so that was the bar and that was very very cool and then on top of the bar they had like a gold um cocktail set and they had little white napkins that had j and m embossed on them there were lots of j and m everywhere the seating plan michael had made himself using tiny little chairs <laughs> like like the kind of ch- like the size you'd have in a doll's house and he'd painted them all black and himself he'd, he'd got a spray can and painted them all black and then put the names on them so that was really cool that was like a 3d effect they had made i feel like her dad did it but we'll say it was them they had made a lot of lawn games that again were all monochromed with the j and the m embossed on them uh they had sort of what's the one where you throw the sack (laughs) um into the hole (laughs) and um oh my god i sound like a 90 year old man who lives at the pub (laughs) um and they had bull and they had patunk is that the same as bull two words for the same thing they had some lawn games and they were (laughs) but they were like really classy oh my god i can't wait to show you all these details um they had made these beautiful orders of service that were all black and white. They had each seat had a fan in case it got too hot. And it also had a little card with a QR code so that the guests could very easily upload all their pictures after the ceremony, which I thought was very clever. Um, the tables were beautiful so there like i said there wasn't a huge number of guests but the tables that were laid up inside in the reception area were three long trestle tables and they had white linen tablecloths on them and then they had a very soft bluey gray napkin and the flowers which were absolutely beautiful they were done by a local florist to me uh, called emma norton who's an absolute babe she's an absolute queen she's so good at what she does it was very sort of um natural lots of whites and a tiny hint of sort of baby blue almost gray in there they were gorgeous um so they were dotted about the the wedding breakfast space and it just looked very very cool um they had cocktails for their drinks reception personalized cocktails that were all laid out beautifully on these trestle tables they had food done by uh, seven mile which i believe is in birmingham or somewhere around birmingham um and they were brilliant the whole wedding breakfast was vegan now <laughs> <laughs> or was it vegetarian it was one of the two either way there weren't no meat and I feel like 
I've been to a lot of weddings and I feel like there would be, I'm a big meat eater, love my meat. You know my favourite is sausage. And I have said on this podcast, I've offended people before actually, that I that I would jokingly not go to a wedding that didn't have meat. Of course I'd go. I'd just take a ham sandwich in my clutch, which is a handbag, you sicko. Um, but this food was so good, it didn't. It honestly didn't matter. And I think people there would be like, oh, there's no meat. But it didn't matter at all. It was brilliant. And I thought that was really good because they're vegetarian and vegan and it, it would make sense. Why would they serve a great big bloody lamb shank if they don't eat it themselves? Do you know what I mean? They had a um, a string duo called Jam Duo. I'm going to tag all these people in the in the ed, um, edits, but they they were brilliant. They turned up. And they were very smartly dressed because it was black tie. The grooms, the groom, and the ushers were all in black tie. It was very understated glamour, you know, like easy opulence. <laughs> it was so so lovely. The um, makeup artist and the hair, they were there, um, Natalie and Danielle, and they were brilliant. They were lovely. The videographer is Rue Films. Absolute bloody dreamboat. He was so nice. And the photographer, Laura Martha, were brilliant. And we, so us three spent quite a lot of time together because I was there all day. I wasn't just doing the ceremony. We had a lot of really great chats and they were absolutely lovely. Um, So I got there in the morning and started to set up so they prepared everything they were having the hair and makeup done um but I was setting it all up and it was the hottest day it was you know when we had that heat wave last September it was in that heat wave it was so hot now I don't mean to sound crass but by the end of the day I realized I had been wet for over 12 hours I haven't been wet for more than two minutes Oh, I can't help myself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This has been a very emotional episode. I had to bring some disgusting innuendo into it somewhere. Um, But you know, when it was so hot, you literally just sweat the whole day. I was sweating the whole day. I was like, what am I going to do? Because I just look an absolute mess. So I turned up and I think I was wearing some sort of jumpsuit, um, black, because you know, when you're working, working the wedding, you're wearing all black, don't you? Um, And I was running around like a blue ass fly, setting everything up, laying all the chairs out, sorting all the team out, making sure everyone was fed and watered, running from one barn to the next to talk to joe and then to her mum and then to her dad who i was basically just spent the whole time chatting with because her parents are dreamboats um and actually i think it was her mum that found me before she did on instagram so thanks mum um their whole their whole family were wonderful they're wonderful everyone was wonderful um and so i was running around all morning doing all this and that and then <laughs> got to about an hour before the ceremony and i was like i'm i've got i've got to have a shower i know that's unprofessional to use your own private bathroom that you paid for but I can't you don't want me marrying you looking like a hot sweaty mess do you hot's an overstatement so they were like oh my god yeah of course go and have a shower so I did um and I beautified but you know what it's like it's like when you go on holiday and it's really humid and you have a shower and then you're sweating again aren't you um but I did I I changed I washed I changed and I was then ready for the ceremony so everything was pretty much set up then a lot of their close circle of friends were super super helpful and helped me out loads so it got as it got closer to the ceremony this is the bit that I find tricky to navigate when I am the celebrant but also the coordinator because there are certain times like just before the ceremony's about to start where I need two people they're they're 
two very distinctive jobs. I have to stand as a celebrant at the end of the aisle, but as I need someone, the coordinator, to tell me when the bride is ready. I can't do both. So it, it is a bit tricky, but luckily, because of the nature of the day, the vibe and the style that they wanted, it was very sort of relaxed, low-key and intimate, and the space was quite small. I was able to just walk from one to the other. So I, you know, went in there already. Dad's done the first look. Um, she looks, Jo just looks unbelievable. She's so beautiful. Naturally, which is annoying, you know. Um, <laughs> I have to put a lot of slap on <laughs> to look even remotely decent. But she's just, I mean, she's, it's because she's got age on her side. She's only mid-twenties. Do you know what I mean? You give it 10 years, babe. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll see. Um she looked beautiful so I left her and her dad um in the in the house where they were getting ready and they then I went and I sort of announced you know welcome everyone to the wedding and the music started and she walked down the aisle oh my god and he Michael just started sort of silent silent tears and oh god the whole thing was so emotional because because it was an intimate um guest list everyone there knew them really really well and had known them a really really long time and of course, there is going to be an element of this this woman, this beautiful woman standing there in this stunning dress on her wedding day was ill. She was poorly as a child. And so it's got that extra element of relief and of pride. And I felt that. And the fact that they'd been together since they were both kids was it was just it was magic. It really was. It was pure magic. So we had the ceremony. Obviously, it was amazing. <laughs> Olivia Goldman celebrant. Um, and then we had the cocktail hour. So as soon as the ceremony finishes, then I'm back into coordinator mode. And I'm literally like, I think I changed my bra, put a sports bra and put some flats on and got down to it. And then I was just running around like a blue ass fly again. Um, and we had cocktail hour and some fizz and everyone was sort of playing the lawn games and the garden there is beautiful it's sort of the, the three barns surround this wonderful manicured lawn with lovely wooden tables and a lounge area and it's just it's so so pretty I'll show you pictures on the Instagram um, and then we went into dinner uh, and, and dinner ordinarily is the time that the suppliers can relax a little bit even the photographers because you They'll get photos of the room as it's set. Then they might get photos of people coming in. But once you start eating, no one wants photos of that, do they? So then they have a little bit of a break before speeches begin. And, you know, I check as the coordinator, I check on the catering team and I check on the guests. But I can sort of, I can sit down. I actually sat down for the first time in that entire day. I sat down for about five minutes, but still. I then started clearing up. <laughs> I started because they didn't have... Um, any staff as such the catering team had bought staff um, and they were really brilliant and really helpful but they didn't have any sort of just loose ends they didn't have any loose people hanging around to clear up so I did a lot of it and that's one of the key things about doing a DIY wedding and not having a coordinator someone's got to clear up the glasses someone's got to pick up the fag but someone's got to do it and you don't want to do it you hire someone to do it <laughs> so you hire me so after I'd sat down for all of five minutes, I then got back up and started clearing away all of the cocktail hour bits and pieces um, and making sure the outside then looked clean and clear and, and back to its pristine state for later on. I'm going to be honest with you. I had a slip up. I was, wa I was walking 
from the um, lawn area where the cocktail hour was past the glass doors of the wedding breakfast where everyone was sat having a nice time and I was carrying a tray of glasses and I tripped. You know it happens. And I tripped and I dropped an entire tray of glasses. Very embarrassing. Luckily, only a few people actually made it clear that they'd saw. Everyone had seen. Uh, and then they came rushing out to help me and then I was like, oh my God, you're so sweet, but please go sit down, enjoy yourself. I've got this. Um, but it happens. It happens a lot. And then there were speeches which were wonderful. And her, Joe's dad said he wouldn't cry, but he did. He was teary. Um, and again, because they've been together so long, they were really lovely and really meaningful. And then we had um, tea and coffee. And I, it sort of the night wore on a little bit. It was about um, 7, 7.30 at night by the time that everyone had left the their seats in the wedding breakfast and gone outside for some tea and coffee, which we'd laid up on a table where the cocktail hour was previously and like I say it was so bloody hot and everyone had had a few drinks so people were just kind of milling around and sitting on the lounges and and chilling out and having photos and um, then we had the cake cutting which things had gone awry in terms of the timeline they always do nothing ever goes to schedule Mainly because, I tell you for why, the videographer and the photographer really wanted some golden hour shots, <laughs> which I get because they are bloody beautiful. But also it's pain in the sodding ass because you have to work around that. Um, but that's what they wanted. So we did. We worked around it. And again, because of the vibe and the number of people, it was easy. I mean, it wasn't easy, but I was there to manage it. So I made sure that even though the timings had changed, that we could still do everything and it would it, we would adjust the timeline to to make sure it all fitted and it all still worked so we decided then to swap things around and do the cake cutting and then go straight into the first dance so we they wanted sparklers and it was just it was about eight o'clock at night it was just as the sun was really coming down so we went outside and we did it on the garden and we had all the beautiful countryside in the background and the the warm lighting from inside the event space and I brought the cake out and put it on, on a round table um, and then sort of the guests just stood there surrounding the table and I handed out all of the sparklers and they cut the cake and then immediately sort of just stood in front of the table and then they just danced under the moonlight, <laughs> under the stars and everyone had their sparklers as they were dancing and it was so lovely. It really was. It was so, so lovely. And then the... Um, evening food start sorry the evening entertainment started they um had a playlist they didn't even have a dj or a band and i don't think given the number of people and given the style of the venue the whole vibe of sort of really gorgeous country house rather than wedding venue it worked normally i'm quite hesitant in saying just do a playlist because i think it can lack atmosphere but it didn't. It worked. And they had very carefully and cleverly curated their playlist. I mean, really put thought into which song was going to go one after the other. So the catering team started clearing everything away. The venue team came out and helped. With, they were godsends. And I was clearing everything away. And you just sort of get on with your jobs, really, while everyone else is having a wonderful time, as it should be. And so the disco started. And then I was tasked with going to collect the evening food. Now, this might be the best thing you've ever heard. <laughs> it's probably not the first time you've heard it, but it was brilliant. 
like I said, right at the beginning of this episode, we're only about 15 minutes from the central Cheltenham. So I knew this was happening. They'd asked me beforehand if I would be okay to do it. And I was like, yeah, of course. For that evening food, I went in my two-seater soft top car into the middle of Cheltenham at 9.30 at night to go to Domino's to pick up, I don't know, 80 pizzas, 250 quid's worth of pizzas and their cookie dough thing and dips. And I hadn't, I'd forgotten about this when I chose to drive my two-seater soft top to the wedding that morning rather than my mum, mummy van thing. So I had, I had no choice but to keep the roof down because the, there was that many pizzas. Um, and by that point in Cheltenham on a Saturday night, people were quite pissed, weren't they? So I came out of Domino's, like literally I had three people carrying all these, these mountains of pizzas. Some drunk bloke was like, oh, you're having a party, love? I was like, yeah, I am. Come along, you saucy little. No, I didn't say that. So then I had to drive back and then I delivered all these Domino's on one of the tables outside in the garden. It was such a good idea. because, And then they did actually have some meat pizzas then for, for the meat eaters. But it was brilliant because there was a fire pit and people were dancing and people were drinking and chatting and chilling. It was a really, really cool atmosphere. And then it was like, oh, my God, there's Domino's. That's what you want after a whole day of drinking is a bloody pizza, isn't it? So they devoured it. They devoured it. It was such a good idea. And I mean, okay, it's probably cost the same if you were to do a cheese board for that number of people, less than if you were to do something more elaborate for an evening food. But in terms of novelty, it was brilliant. And she changed sort of, um, Michael loosened his tie so he looked a bit like James Bond, you know, at the end of the night. And and Joe changed into a shorter dress and these fabulous sparkly heels and with a, and a huge bow on the back of the dress and she looked brilliant. And they just danced the night away. And it was, oh God, it was magnificent. I didn't want to leave, but I was so exhausted because of the heat. And, you know, the fact that I'd been wet for 12 hours, I had to go home, didn't I? So I had to leave them. And I, I've missed them every day since. Like I say, she and I were chatting just this morning. I, I still chat to her. And it was just, I look back on it now so fondly for so many reasons, for their story which I just think is is something really quite special for the wedding as it was like on paper it was a very well planned out well executed visually gorgeous wedding and for all of the other reasons combined for the great chats I had with the best man for her lovely parents for his lovely mum um dropping glasses, <laughs> making friends with the videographer. Um, it was just, it was a really, really special day for me. And it's one that I certainly will never, ever forget. Hello, hello, hello. So on this week's RSVP, I have had a message from Tom. Tom is newly engaged. Congratulations and celebrations. I, To be honest, flabbergasted that I have not had a call from Simon Cowell because <laughs> every episode's an audition. Um, Tom says, hi, Olivia. Love the pod. Keep doing what you do. I'm recently engaged and have decided to write my own vows. So I was wondering, what's your take on incorporating humour into the vows rather than just the speeches? Thanks so much, Tom. Um, 
<laughs> so not actually that many of my couples write their own vows. Some of them do, but not that many. But what I say to all my couples that write their own vows is send them to me so that I can see them together and make sure that they work. And that's because what I don't want on the day is for one person to include humour and for the other person to not. What you don't want is for one person's vows to be really long and romantic and thought-provoking and meaningful and then the other person to just like tell a few jokes and make take the piss a little bit do you know what I mean um so I think incorporating humor whether you do it or not um is fine just make sure that the other person knows that's what you're doing because Otherwise, it might be awkward. I'm always reminded of the vows in Wedding Crashers when <laughs> they're really into sailing. And they say, she says to him, no, he says to her, I, Craig, take you, Christina, to be my wife, my best friend and my first mate, through sickness and health, clear skies and squalls. And then she says... I, Christina, take you, Craig, to be my best friend and my captain, to be your anchor and your sail, your starboard and your port. I can't, like, I can't. So there's some vows where I'm like, okay, you're taking the piss. I think when it comes to humour and vows, and I'm going to do an episode on writing your own vows um, and writing your own bits and pieces, things like that, for the ceremony. I'm going to do that soon. But... Um, in answer to your question, Tom, I think humour is good if it's gentle, subtle and personalised. Don't just throw a joke in there for the sake of it. Keep that for the speech. But if it's something like, you know, I vow to love you forever um, and then I vow to always open the jar on the pickles because you can't. Like, that's funny, but that's really sweet and that's really, really personal. It doesn't matter in your vows, I think, if people don't understand it. If they're insider jokes, that's fine. In the speeches, you want people to get it. But in your vows, it's just you two. Remember that. I hope that helps. And if you want to send me your vows, Tom, I'll be more than happy to read them. I'd read everyone's vows if I could. Just pinch some ideas. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. It really does mean the world. If you find this podcast even remotely helpful or moderately entertaining, share with all your friends and family. You can DM me any questions, queries, if you want to share any stories on the podcast Instagram at I'll Marry You Podcast. Get in touch. I want to hear all your tall tales. See you soon. I'll Marry You is a podcast by Olivia Coleman. The music is Mr. Sunnyface by Wayne Jones and the show is produced and edited by Drew Toynbee.